Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Monday at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, and we are at Whitmore Country Club, the site of the Suntrip. Folds of Honor Golf Tournament will be here until 10 a.m. and looking forward to a great morning. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you doing today? Doing good. Good to be here and being involved with a group that does such incredible things for people that are lost in the line of duty in uh, in the military families get lots of benefits but the main thing is scholarships from folds of honor for both spouses and children of people that are lost in the line of duty that uh, serve us in the military and they do amazing work and they've done it for several years and the amount that they raise to help out these families is incredible and it's an honor to be here it is an honor to be here and we're right here at the entrance at whitmore country club we're seeing all of the people coming in getting all of their gear getting ready to participate in this tournament and it's going to be an exciting day it will be great and it's an off day in which the Cardinals won. They lose a couple to the Pirates and win win the finale. At least they won on Sunday. You're right. That's the positive (laughs) that we get to come in on Monday and talk about a Cardinal victory and Adam Wainwright, of course, being the artist to paint just another wonderful performance, but more importantly, stop the bleeding. He always is there for the Cardinals whenever they need him to have a great performance and to stop the losing. Adam Wainwright is the guy that continuously steps up for his team. So even though we are not pleased that the Cardinals lost the first two games versus Pittsburgh. It's great to come in and talk about yet another strong performance from Adam Wainwright. Yeah, that's the one thing you can count on with this team. And they they just even now... I like the fact that they got Lester and Hap so that they can protect the innings and not have people like Jake Woodford and Johan Oviedo losing 30 games or whatever in their career without ever winning one. But that being the case, they just aren't good enough with the starting pitching they have and the offense that they have to go on a run where they can make the playoffs. Right now, if the Reds would go 18 and 18 the rest of the season, Cardinals would have to go about 24 and 10 to catch them. And I just don't think the Cardinals are going to be able to do that. I don't think they're going to be able to play that far over 500 when they show no inclination that they're going to be able to do that so far in the season. Well, prior to the Brewer series, they go on that great run, win six in a row. They beat up on the Pirates. They beat up on the Royals. So you take things like that for granted. You assume this team can go out and do that. And after that final win versus Milwaukee, where the Cardinals, after dropping the first two, come out, they win the third, you expect a little bit of momentum to take over. Yep. And even in the first two games, the second game versus the Brewers, the Cardinals should have won that. So you look at the opposition in Pittsburgh and you think not only can the Cardinals beat this team, if they're going to be a playoff team, this is an opportunity for them to beat a lesser team and they drop two of three. 
And so now the Reds lead both the Padres and the Cardinals in the National League wild card race there behind the Dodgers. Yesterday, a 3-0 win. Yachty drove in the first run in the first inning, and then in the fifth inning, Paul Goldschmidt gave Adam Wainwright some insurance. That is hammered. Deep left. He has been so good, and we expected him when the Cardinals got him to be so good. But over the course of the last couple months, he's been so good that I kind of am taking him for granted. I just expect him to hit great now. It's because he doesn't have he. What's the word I'm looking for? He doesn't do it with a ton of flair. Right. Yep. He is just so consistently great. He's not flipping bats. He's not somebody that's going to come out in the media and give you a sizzling quote. He is just, he's the big fundy. He is just <laughs> yes. so consistently productive for the Cardinals. He does it putting his head down and you know, maybe it's because of Adam Wainwright's age that that we talk about what he's doing and how remarkable it is. But Paul Goldschmidt has been just as consistent and reliable recently for the Cardinals as Adam Wainwright is in a different capacity. So a two nothing game in the fifth. Harrison Bader drives one home in the bottom of the eighth. Even then, Alex Reyes made things exciting in the ninth. A pair of two out hits brought Colin Moran to the plate. Home runs this year. Shift on the right side and a high fly ball out to right. New bar back. Okay, can you say what you were saying to yourself when you saw that ball off the bat? No. <laughs> I was like, son of a... I can't again. say it on the radio, no. <laughs> <laughs> because we all thought the same thing, except for Adam Wainwright. And he's the story every time he pitches eight scoreless innings, two hits, nine strikeouts, didn't walk a batter. He saw that catch. Well, I was watching it inside on delay, and... Uh, our clubhouse guy just kind of looked at me like, yeah, we, we got this, no problem. And so I started kind of like walking out to shake hands, and then I saw him hit it, and I was like, and, uh, even though I knew it was going to happen, it was uh, still kind of nerve-wracking. It was a great play by Lars. He made an amazing play there. <laughs> it was scary as all hell. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the PG version of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and imagine being Adam Wainwright in that moment, getting ready oh, to go man. out, shake hands, thinking that you, you've done your job yet again, and then you're like, wait yep. a minute, what's and happening? This is, hey, I, I'm a big get the 27th out guy, and Alex Reyes has now. He's gotten the 27th out since the All-Star break, but he did get his 28th save, so I'll take the end result, but he is making me a little bit nervous these days. But you know what? A lot of Cardinals closers have done That's that. That's just the way it works, yeah. You know, remember Trevor Rosenthal? We, mm -hmm. we would have exciting moments with him, too. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, which is what makes it fun. And as anyone that listens to Carriker and Swalman knows, Wainwright is still thinking positive, <laughs> and he knows every win is a big one. I mean, it is important. It is. We're into that spot, too, where it we're almost, you know, three-fourths of the way through August here. And um, what do we have, a week left of August or, um, you know, just a little bit over that? We got some very, very tough series coming up ahead of us um, on the road, at home. We got, what, nine more or ten more games against the Brewers? I don't know how many it is, but get a series against the Reds. We got a series against the Mets, series against the – we played Philly here too, I think. We got – we have some – we have some tough – series ahead of us and uh, we're just going to have to come out and play with our hair on fire honestly we're just going to have to come out here we got nothing to lose now we're we're uh we're a little bit down and and you know we, we're playing catch up but 
every single day is the most important day of the year. It's it's hard for me to say that because I've always told these guys that my day is the most important game of the year, but every game we play from now on is uh, the most important game of the year. He's absolutely right. The Cardinals are four and a half out in that second wild card. The Padres are doing them every favor possible. Mm-hmm. The Padres are in a bit of a free fall, free fall right now, but the Reds, conversely, they swept Miami over the weekend, and they're handling their business, and so the Cardinals need to look within their own division, and, and that's who they're competing against right now, and the margin for error, if they do in fact want to be a playoff team, is very small. Yeah, and it, amazingly, the Cardinals have a pretty good record against Pittsburgh, but they might look back at losing three or four here to Pittsburgh a couple of months ago, and then two of three this weekend and then the series against Kansas City and the series against Detroit where they lost two in Detroit if they don't make the playoffs and they do miss by four games Michelle I think it's going to be because of their performance against bad teams I'm going to look at the month of June I'm just just going to blame the entire month of June yeah tomorrow night Jack Flaherty will be on the mound he's nine and one with a 2.68 speaking of the Tigers they'll be in town and they aren't sending David Price or Max Scherzer Jordan Zimmerman to the mound Uh, they're sending Casey Mize to the mound one thing about Detroit though ever since a horrible April they've had a winning record in every month winning record in May winning record in June winning record in July winning record in August and their manager uh, AJ Hinch who's done a magnificent job is trying to get his team to finish second in the division they're three games out of second behind Cleveland they're 60 and 66 on the year and that's their carrot this year is to finish second behind the White Sox well the Cardinals shouldn't take any team lightly especially at this point in time but in the first half of the season when the Cardinals had what we thought was a favorable stretch of schedule that included the Pirates and um, the Diamondbacks and oh Detroit was in that mix Detroit handed him two losses yeah so they they know that this is a team that's capable of beating them because they've beaten them earlier in the season and the Cardinals uh, did make a roster move yesterday they're, they're bringing KK back but he will not pitch in the starting rotation and he doesn't do very well in his second trip through a, a lineup anyway so they have put him in the bullpen and he has been activated after his left elbow inflammation also this weekend did you get an opportunity to see any of the highlights or see the Cardinal Hall of Fame induction I did I did and that's always such a special thing that the organization does yeah, Keith Hernandez Tom Herr. John Tudor going into the Cardinal Hall of Fame. Bill White also going in, although he did not have a representative there. And Keith Hernandez, who has been away from the Cardinals now since 1983, still looks at that Cardinal portion of his career and Cardinal fans as kind of the highlight. I can tell you, to grow up as a kid in Pacifica, California, being a Cardinal fan, and then wearing the Cardinal uniform, and then being on a world championship team as well, is just and now the Hall of Fame is just the cherry on top and I can't thank you enough and I struggled early in my career I would not have wanted to struggle early in my career in New York that would have been rough you folks I mean this from the bottom of my heart you held in there with me you pulled for me and that was big because I was very fragile back then and I thank you for your support and I'm just glad that we're be a part of the Cardinal organization, be a part of Cardinal history, uh, part of one of the teams that have won the world championship here in St. Louis. So thank you very much. 
born the outside looking in and we know how much Cardinal baseball means to us as, mm -hmm. as people here in St. Louis, as a community. And it's always interesting to me when things like the Cardinal Hall of Fame come up to hear guys who are on the inside looking out and they have the same sentiment towards the Cardinals and the same sentiment and the same thoughts about playing in St. Louis and what the birds on the bat mean to them. And it's always so special to hear guys talk about the, the reverence that they have for the organization and the affection that they have for the fans here in St. Louis. And it's particularly amazing in his case, Michelle, because when he came back in 1985 after the drug trial, he talks about how well he was treated early in his career. I don't know that there's ever been a player that was treated worse by Cardinal fans than Keith Hernandez, and he brought it on himself. He, he earned it. But for him to come back now and be in the good graces of Cardinal fans and be voted into the, the Cardinal Hall of Fame says a lot for him, says a lot for Cardinal fans, and it says a lot for the ability of, of time to heal all wounds. I think we learned that with Albert Pujols too, right? When he yeah. came, when oh, he yeah, came no back doubt. and there was a lot of hurt feelings there. And what happened when he came back with the Angels standing ovation multiple right. times? Yeah. I wonder what it'll be like. He'll come to the plate a couple times when the Dodgers come to town in a couple of weeks, right? Oh, yeah. I wonder if he'll get the same sort of reaction that he got when he came back for that first time with the Angels. I think he will because even though the laundry is different and we dislike that laundry more mm -hmm. than we, we did when he was with the Angels, he's still Albert Pujols. And St. Louis always loves and respects their guys. Yeah. And Albert, even though he left, I think will always be one of the guys. And as the Tigers come to town tomorrow, Miguel Cabrera joined Albert Pujols in the 500 Home Run Club became 28th member of the 500 Home Run Club and the first since Big Poppy. Albert joined in 2014. Tigers did a great job, had a, a great video of all the recent guys that have joined the 500, hit uh, 500 Home Run Club welcoming Miguel Cabrera and we didn't get enough chance to see him but he was the American League's version of Albert he was and I wish that I would have had more of an opportunity to see him play because what a career unbelievable and it'll be good to see him in St. Louis over the course of the next couple days after this day off for the Cardinals Tigers in town tomorrow and on hump day that's Michelle I'm Randy we're at Whitmore Country Club we are the site of the Suntrop Automotive Folds of Honor Golf Tournament, and we're thrilled to be here. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got a little game of start one, bench one, cut one here with Randy and Michelle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy with you, and we'll get things started. Okay, Michelle, we are on August 23rd right now. We're a week away from September. So start one, bench one, cut one. The start of the football season with the baseball stretch run. The start of the baseball season with the hockey stretch run and the playoffs, and of course the NCAA tournament, uh, and the heart of the baseball season, which is essentially the summer. So essentially you've got uh, fall, you've got spring, and you've that summer because I know you're leaving winter out. Okay. I am. Yeah. Winter stupid. We all know that. So Randy, I'm going to start the start of football season because you do have so many other things going on, including the, the stretch run of baseball. And it's, there's just something about, especially in the Midwest when there's a chill in the air and the leaves start to turn. That, that's really when everything is happening in sports. So I'm going to do the start of the fall start. I'm going to bench the start of baseball season because especially here in St. Louis, that's always uh, hope springs eternal mm -hmm. and that's a holiday for us. And then I'm going to cut the heart of the baseball season. I'm exactly the same. 
And one of the things about the start of the baseball season is that's also the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So th- it's a that's tough right. one for me. But I'm with you. I, just because of the, the seasonal nature, the, the fall, I, I like the fall better. So I'm start of football, start, start of baseball, bench, and heart of baseball, cut. All right. Start one, bench one, cut one. Guys in the 500 club. Barry Bonds, A-Rod, Albert Pujols. Oh, this is pretty easy, actually. I am going to start Albert. I am going to bench A-Rod. And I am going to cut Barry. Wow, I didn't think you'd cut Barry. Just a jerk. (laughs) Just a jerk. 762. I know, but... And he was legit. He was a legit hitter. But I'm, I'm just going by quality of human being. Oh, okay. So we're not talking baseball at all. We're just if, talking if, dudes. If, if we talk baseball. Talking dudes. I'm one of Yeah. <laughs> if we talk baseball, I'll still go the same way. Because I don't think that Barry was as authentic as Albert or A-Rod. A-Rod, before he was connected to performance enhancers, was still a power hitter. Albert obviously was 37 home runs in his rookie year, mm-hmm. but Barry never, even though he hit 300 and something home runs before the performance enhancers were thought of with him, he wasn't a guy that we thought of for 500 home runs. I think I'm going to start Albert. I think if we're going between those two question marks and, and Barry Bonds and A-Rod, that I would roll the dice with Barry Bonds. So I'm going to bench Barry Bonds and cut A-Rod. Okay, so what happens, though, if uh, the wedding goes through and A-Rod and J-Lo, the A-Rod thing never happens and A-Rod and J-Lo are copacetic? No, this has nothing to do with them as dudes. This is okay. strictly okay. from a baseball perspective. All right. <laughs> Emily, what do you got for us? Randy, I was shocked you didn't cut A-Rod immediately. That, I was shocked. From the now, three one, <laughs> just from a baseball standpoint, that's uh, if from, uh, Barry's he might be the best player of all time, even without the performance enhancers. He would have been a Hall of Famer if he would have retired before he ever took a performance enhancer. But in terms of hitting home runs and being in the five or six hundred or seven hundred home run club, I don't see it without the performance enhancers. From the 314, start one, bench one, cut one. Game seven of the World Series, game seven of the Stanley Cup, or the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, this is pretty easy, I think. Um, I'm going to go, and this is if your team is in it, I'm assuming, yeah. I'm going to start game seven of the Stanley Cup final because mm-hmm. nothing has ever been more intense than that. I'm going to bench game seven of the World Series, and I'm going to cut the Super Bowl. Even though the Super Bowl is one and done, the crescendo of anxiety and stress and hope that you get in a game seven is unmatched. Yeah, I I hate to agree with you 100% of the time, Michelle, but I'm the exact (laughs) same way. And we have a Super Bowl every year. We don't have a game seven of the World Series or Stanley Cup every year. So the Super Bowl happens every year. So the other two are more rare. And for the exact same reason you gave, because there's nothing like the intensity and the emotion of a game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. I'm going to go with that number one, too. From the 314, start one, bench one, cut one. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I. This is easy. You start okay. Saturday, you bench Friday, you cut Sunday. Sunday is basically a throwaway day. You get the Sunday scaries. You don't get the entire day to relax. Sunday is always like the pre-week day. 
You know, you're mm -hmm. going grocery shopping. Maybe you're meal prepping. You're getting organized for the week. Even if you get up early and play golf and, and do the things you need to do, by the time you hit dinner time, you're already thinking about what you need to do on Monday. Friday, yeah, you have to work, but mentally maybe you're not there 100%. As soon as you walk out the door and those – you're, you're burning rubber. You're going to happy hour. Yeah. You know, Fr Friday is a, a great day for anticipation. Yeah. But I do have to cut Friday. I'm, I'm going to go the other way, Michelle. I'm going to actually start Sunday. Sunday is a, a, just a great day to, uh, like you say, go out and play golf in the morning, come home, sit down, take a little power nap, 15 minutes, half hour. Saturday is just kind of busy. You, you, you got stuff. You got the start of the weekend. It's pretty intense. You got stuff to do around the house. So I'm going to actually start Sunday. I'm going to bench Saturday, and I'm going to cut Friday. Nice. Now, if I had uh, one of those like late night talk show host deals where I was off Friday, then I would start Friday. Yeah. All right. From the 618, start one, bench one, cut one in their prime. Allen Iverson, Dan Marino, Ken Griffey Jr. Ooh. Easy one for Michelle. Well, you have to start Dan Marino. It's yep. prime. I mean, come on. So it was AI, it was Dan Marino, and it was Ken Griffey Jr. Yep. Yes. All of whom never won a championship. Yeah, that's a, this is a really good one. So... I mean, I'm, I'm clearly biased here, and I'm starting Dan Marino. But I think we can all agree. Best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. Yep, and still arguably the best passer. Maybe Mahomes has caught him. But even though he's the best to never win a Super Bowl, I, I still think that he's the best thrower of the football that I've ever seen. I'm going to bench Ken Griffey Jr. because, gosh, what a what a force he was um actually i just had his numbers i was just looking at him when we were doing 500 club 630 the kid i'm oh he did it at bush stadium his 500th yep, home yeah. run i remember that um gosh but ai ah, man this is a really tough one i hate to i hate to cut ai but i think i might have to do it and maybe it's because we're not an nba town but i'm gonna start dan marino i'm gonna bench the kid and i'm gonna cut ai i am gonna start griffey I am going to bench Marino, and I still blame AI for those 2004 Olympics. So <laughs> I'm cutting AI for that. As great as he was, best crossover in the history of the game. Incredible. But, yeah, I got to cut him because uh, I think he cost us that Olympics. All right, Michelle, this one's for you from the 618. Let's show your line. I some love. Start okay. one, bench one, cut one. D Brown, Io DeSumo, Darren Williams. Mm. Oh, again, really tough one. Um, I'm going to start Darren Williams because he, I mean, Io still has a, hopefully a long NBA career in front of him, and we'll see what he can do with the Bulls. But I'm going to start Darren Williams because he had the best career in totality. I'm going to bench D Brown because he gave me so many incredible moments and he played in a national championship yep. game. And even though we love Io DeSumo, we love that he came back to Illinois last season. He got bounced early in the tournament and as talented as he is, if I have to cut somebody, I'm not going to cut one of the two guys that made it to the national championship game. I think that's totally reasonable. That's I would go the same direction if I were in the same shoes as you. Your orange and blue shoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. Will Clark, John Smoltz, Larry Walker. Okay, uh, guys who came to the Cardinals and ended their careers with the Cardinals. Personality-wise, they're all spectacular. Mm -hmm. What great guys. But I am going to go... 
See, Larry Walker joined a stacked lineup. Will Clark, he took over for Mark McGuire when McGuire was hurt and did an unbelievable job. Smolty, and maybe this was Tony's thing, he never got a chance in the postseason. I am going to start Clark. I'm going to bench the Hall of Famer, Walker, and I'm going to cut John Smoltz. Wow. See, I think I'm going to start Larry Walker, bench John Smoltz, and cut Will Clark, even though you don't want to cut any of those guys. No. Will Clark is an incredibly beloved player for having only played two months in St. Louis, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we all have, everybody who was around in that 2000 season has memories of the guy and it's amazing. He, he played here in August and September and October of 2000, but it's like he was here for years. It's amazing how many people have so many great memories of Will Clark as a Cardinal wearing number 22. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, we've got four downs from the weekend in the NFL. Randy and Michelle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for four downs, and let's get rolling with first. First down. Michelle, during the offseason in OTAs, our friend Coach Venturi said that with the Colts, Carson Wentz looked fantastic, looked like the real deal heading into training camp. Two weeks ago, we find out that Carson Wentz has to undergo surgery on his foot for an injury that he apparently suffered in high school. They had to take a bone out, and Quentin Nelson, their top-level guard, maybe the best guard in the NFL, had to undergo the same surgery. Well, Coach Frank Reich revealed yesterday that Wentz and Nelson, along with Senator Ryan Kelly, will return to practice today in a limited fashion. Frank saying you're going to see him out there on the practice field. He'll be out there taking some things tomorrow. He'll be limited. He'll be limited, but he will be participating. Reich's announcement comes three weeks before the Colts open the season September 12th against Seattle. And Michelle, they, they were not. The Indianapolis was not going to have a chance against Seattle without Carson Wentz. Maybe Jacob Eason, maybe Sam Ellinger is their starter, but without those two offensive linemen as well. With those three, they have a chance to beat anybody in the league. They could be a Super Bowl team if they have their offensive line together and if Carson Wentz plays like he has in the past for Frank Reich. So that's a huge announcement. They said he was going to be out five to 12 weeks. He's out two and he's going to be in practice and apparently be ready for the opener. This is massive for the Colts for so for so many reasons, uh, because you're right. They wouldn't likely have a chance without Carson Wentz and maybe more importantly, Quentin Nelson as yep. well. I mean, I mean, I don't I don't know any backup quarterback that's going to have as much of a chance to have success if he's not playing. But this is something that when we initially heard about both of these injuries that we just assumed was going to permeate into the beginning of the regular season. And then the questions start of grow for from there, how uh, how much will they be okay? How close to 100%, I should say, will they be once they come back? Will it take a while for them to get up to regular game speed? So the fact that they're already back at practice and they're going to have, you said, three weeks to get ready and um, get to the place that they need to be. This is massive for the Colts. And most quarterbacks in the league aren't playing in preseason games anyway. That's right. So they're just practicing. So. Wentz will do the same thing, except he'll just miss a couple of weeks of the physical practice. He's, he's been taking the mental reps. Second down. 
Well, the most interesting game of the weekend, Randy, for me was the Bills versus the Bears. So I'm actually going to do two of my downs on the same game. So first, let's look at the winning side of things. The Bills absolutely bounced the Bears 41 to 15. And this was a little bit of a Mitchell Trubisky revenge game. He absolutely torched his former team. He led four straight touchdown drives to start the game. He was 20 of 28 for passing wise, 220 yards, and he had a touchdown in the first half. And I'm sure this one was a little personal for Mitchell Trubisky. And it, it might be interesting for him to see what's going on right now with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields as somebody that felt a lot of pressure as QB1 in Chicago. And we're going to get to that in a second. But it's not likely that Mitchell Trubisky is going to see a whole heap of time for the Bills this season. If Mitchell Trubisky is seeing a lot of time, the Bills have a lot bigger problems on their hands because Josh Allen is the guy. But it does seem like if Josh Allen ever does go down for any reason, that Mitchell Trubisky looks like a viable backup for them. And it's amazing that on a national level, people that couldn't wait for the Bears to get rid of Mitchell Trubisky are now saying, oh, if Josh Allen goes down, they'll be fine, like you were saying. And this is happening all over the country. Mitchell Trubisky was not good enough to start for the Bears, but now he's good enough to start for five weeks for the Bills. The only difference is coaching, and he went there, and he said that Brian Dayball has changed things for him, and he had physical abilities when he was drafted by the Bears. The problem was he hadn't played college football, and they rushed him into playing, and they didn't give him an opportunity to actually learn how to play the position, and that's why he is where he is right now. If the Bears would have treated him like in the same year the Chiefs treated Patrick Mahomes, uh -huh. he'd probably have a completely different quarterback right now I and I can't imagine what it's like to deal with the noise especially in a place like Chicago and it's very easy for us to say well don't read it just block it out but as we're going to talk about on third down sometimes you can't get away from Remember it a couple of years ago when they turned off the TVs in their facility that's right because they didn't want Trubisky seeing what was being said I remember that in House Hall <laughs> that, that was a rule no NFL network yeah, no, no yeah. sports center none of that <laughs> and if you have your phone on you at any time which we all do we're glued to it you're gonna see stuff yeah and it's really hard to get away from that third down and that's something that Andy Dalton is learning Randy so let's go to the other side of this the bear side so Andy Dalton did okay 11 of 17 for 146 yards one touchdown one interception but outside of that one touchdown pass Bears offense wasn't great and Andy Dalton heard about it so his numbers aren't even the story the story coming out of this is the way that Bears fans treated Andy Dalton and conversely the way that they treated Justin Fields so we know that Mitchell Trubisky was not the guy in Chicago and we know that Bears fans have been waiting for the chosen and one waiting for their guy, their quarterback for a long time. And in the limited time they've seen him, they're convinced that Justin Fields is the guy. So when Andy Dalton goes out there, he's getting booed by Bears fans. Justin Fields, on the other hand, is getting a standing ovation. People are going bananas for him. And when asked about Andy Dalton being booed after the game, I thought Justin Fields had a great quote. He said, I noticed it, of course. The fans are awesome, but they also have to realize Andy is a human being too. Andy's out there on the field right now, so I really think it's kind of disrespectful to Andy. Andy, them cheering my name like that because they were chanting for Justin Fields. They have to trust in coach to make sure he's making the right decisions and cheer Andy on. That's not helping Andy play better, them cheering my name. That's not doing that. So I would say my advice to them would be to just cheer for who's ever out there playing on the field. And what a mature response from a, what seems like a great young man in Justin Fields. But he's absolutely right. If you're a Bears fan and Andy Dalton is going to be QB1 until Justin Fields is in fact ready to go, you don't want history to repeat itself. You don't 
want to throw him out there before he's fully ready to go a la Mitchell Trubisky and have this whole thing repeat itself. So if Andy Dalton is going to be the guy, you might as well support him if you're Bears fans. And Justin Fields was almost beheaded during a sack in that game. That's right. If you're a Bears fan, why do you want him to go out there with a deficient offensive line and get killed? If you don't like a guy like... Andy Dalton, you want him to play for the Bears right now because that's the one that's going to take the battering. You don't want Justin Fields to get beat up and destroyed before he has a chance to become good. They cut their starting left tackle, Charles Leno. They've they've lost Kaya Long. They've got a really bad offensive line right now. I don't know why, if you're a Bears fan, that you'd want to see Justin Fields on day one and see him take the beating that Dalton's going to have to take. Yeah, you want Aaron Donald running at your guy? Right. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Also, also, if, if you're a Chicago Bears fan, you have to appreciate what Andy Dalton is giving from you. He wanted to come to Chicago. This is a place he wanted to be. He has the confidence that he can be QB1. He's not rolling over for Justin Fields. That's the mentality that you should want this guy to have if you're a Bears fan. Mm-hmm. Whether you think he's he's the guy long-term, and I know you're foaming at the mouth because you want to see the guy that was just drafted, but I don't know. I would think it would show a little respect to Andy Dalton who says, I'm, I'm QB1 and he's going to have to take it from me. And I know recency bias exists here, but he took a really bad organization in the Bengals to five straight playoff appearances before two years ago. So you go back to 2000, what, 2018, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, five, the the Cincinnati Bengals went to the playoffs five straight times with Andy Dalton as their quarterback. He's not as bad as you think, but the most recent thing you saw was what happened last year when Dak got hurt in Dallas and their offensive line, obviously in Dallas was not very good either. And I'm willing to give Andy Dalton a little bit more benefit of the doubt. And at the end of the day, he's just going to get killed. He's going to he's starting because he's the one that they want to get killed rather than Justin Fields. Fourth down. Michelle Wynn, Drew Locke got drafted by the Broncos. I was one of those people as a Mizzou fan that thought, oh, man, what a great spot for him. He'll land there and he'll wind up being a really good quarterback under John Elway's watch with the Broncos. It's not turning out that way. They traded for Teddy Bridgewater during the season and Locke just can't shake Teddy Bridgewater. Vic Fangio saying after the Broncos had beaten Seattle 30-3 to on Saturday, both of these guys have done well. The calendar is closing in on us. It won't be tomorrow. The earliest it would be would be early next week or we'll let it go another week. These guys, both of them, Drew and Teddy, have done well, as you guys have seen, and they've made it a hard decision. We'll give it a thorough thought. We've been discussing it with the coaches, with George Patton all along. We'll continue to do that. Bridgewater got the start, played two series, led the Broncos to two touchdowns. Locke had 29 snaps, led the team to three field goals and I, I would think that if you're in your third year now and they bring in a guy that you just can't show yourself to be better than you're probably in trouble I would think Drew Locke's NFL career is in big trouble right now and so John Elway's legacy is never going to be in trouble he's always going to be one of the best to do it but it's interesting that his post playing career is going to be defined by a string of ineffective quarterbacks under his watch that he hand selected. You have Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon. Let's not forget Brock Osweiler. And we don't want to have to throw the Mizzou product Drew Locke onto that list. But if you were a second round pick in 2019 and you're the incumbent starter and Teddy Bridgewater is coming in and not only battling for your job, but likely to steal it, yep. he's on the list. And it's amazing to me that John Elway can be someone who was 
so good at what he did, and he cannot identify talent at the position that he was so effective at for so long. It's really remarkable that this is going to be a chapter in in his legacy. Yeah, when you look at, uh, and we had such faith in him. I guess anybody could have signed Peyton Manning, right? But then he, when they brought in Osweiler too, we thought, oh, Brock Osweiler, he'll be the next guy. And as you mentioned, that list of that litany of names is really unimpressive, and that will be his legacy as a manager. It won't be signing Peyton Manning and, and having a Super Bowl champion. It'll be the fact that he got all these different quarterbacks and none of them worked out. By the way, I forgot to add Case Keenum to that list who had a two-year $36 million <laughs> contract in 2018. And remember when he brought in Joe Flacco? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fourth-round pick in 2019. So, and now he's got a new general manager there. <laughs> <laughs> That's four downs on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. A little take it or leave it coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy coming your way from the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament at Whitmore Country Club. And we'll get to Emily with your take it or leave it in just a moment. But Michelle, I will get things started. Miguel Cabrera, 500th career home run yesterday, 19 years in the major leagues, a 311 career average and a 922 career OPS. Albert Pujols, 21 years in the majors, a career 297 average as opposed to 311, career 920 OPS as opposed to 922. Take it or leave it, Miguel Cabrera, better hitter than Albert Pujols. I'm going to leave that. <laughs> and maybe it's because I saw Albert Pujols on display for a decade. Um, but they're comparable. I yeah. mean, those numbers... Tell, tell the story, but I don't know. I, I just have so many postseason moments with Albert Pujols that don't are, have many with Cabrera that are right there at, at the top of my brain. And I I always say if you do it on the biggest stage, I I just give that a little bit more credit. And maybe that's unfair because a lot of players are as talented. Maybe the team around them is the problem, but still, that's the deciding factor for me here. You think about how hard it is to win a Triple Crown, and in 2012, Cabrera won the Triple Crown in the American League with a 330 average, 44 homers, 139 RBIs. I'm with you. Uh, if you gave me the choice between those two hitters, who would I rather have up there for me? I'd rather have Albert up there, and I think it is because we had Albert, but like we said earlier, the American League's guy was Miguel Cabrera. And Albert says he's the best right-handed hitter Cabrera is that he's ever seen. And uh, in the National League, we had Pujols. So I, I'm with you. I'll take Albert, even though his average is 14 points lower and his OPS is two points lower. Okay, so I'm sticking with Miguel Cabrera and the 500 home run club. I was trying to think of some other guys that might be in line to get it done. And two kind of stuck out on the list. Take it or leave it. Well, let me set this up first. So Giancarlo Stan has 332. He's 31 years old. Mike Trout has 310. He's 30 years old. Both have dealt with injuries, especially recently for Trout. Take it or leave it. Both Stanton and Trout get in the 500 club. Ooh, good question. I'm going to leave it because I don't think Stanton will stay healthy enough to do it. That's I think, the question, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think Trout will come back and this has been a tough injury, but he's been a super durable player until this calf injury mm -hmm. this year. So I think he'll come back and figure 310. He needs 190. So if he plays seven years and 
averages 28 a year, he'll be okay. And I think he will have a couple of more 40s. So I think he'll get there. But I think Trout, or uh, Stan rather, a couple of years ago, he only played nine games. And then another a year after that, he only played 18 or something like that. And he's been hurt a lot. So I just don't think he'll play enough games to be able to get there. He's been hurt a lot. And you think as your career goes on and age starts to take his toll, you're certainly going to have yeah. uh, maintenance issues. So I'm with you. I think that Trout will get there. And Stan seemed to be the guy that everybody thought would definitely get there. But unfortunately, with the injury situation, I just don't know if he'll get there. And I wonder if somebody will stay in Colorado long enough to get there. Because that's the place to hit a bunch of home runs and yeah. get to 500. All right, let's get to your text, 65780. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 314, take it or leave it. Wayno ends up ahead of Flaherty and wins this year. I'm gonna, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll definitely take that. Yeah. So Wayno's at 12 now and Flaherty's at 9. 9, yeah. And I think Wayno keeps winning. I do too. From the 314, take it or leave it. Gorman and Libertor will be September call-ups. I'm going to leave that. Would love it. Yeah, but I don't think that the Cardinals will make those 40-man moves to put those two on their roster, on the 40-man roster. And they've got plenty of guys that they can let go off of the 40-man roster. But I don't think the Cardinals will start their clock. And it's not like those guys have been lighting it up at AAA anyway. So I, I don't think the Cardinals will do that. And you only get to put two extra guys on now. The new rule is you only get to go from 26 to 28. And I'm guessing that the Cardinals will probably bring up guys that have been here already during the season. From the 636, take it or leave it, Bader and DeYoung are not Cardinals by next year's trade deadline. By next year's trade deadline, I'm going to leave that. I think if there's a move to be made around Paul DeYoung, we might see it happen this offseason. And I don't think Harrison Bader's going anywhere. I don't either. And the Cardinals don't have a guy where they say, okay, that's our center fielder of the future. To replace Harrison Bader, you had that quasi-competition between he and Lane Thomas. Didn't work out very well no. for Thomas or the ball club. And they've got Connor Capel playing well at the, at the minor league level, but I don't think that he really brings to the table the potential that Bader does. You know, Harrison's had a terrible August. But defensively, he, he's still great. And I don't know if the Cardinals will be able to move that to young contract. He, he's hitting less than 200. He's not a very electrifying player. If I'm another team... I think I can do better for less money than Paul DeYoung. I'll do respect. From the 217, take it or leave it, the Cardinals are primed for 2023 with Gorman, Libertor, and Thompson being major league ready. Oh, so now we're pushing it back another season? Yeah. I was told it was 2021. Then I was told it was 2022. Now you're telling me we have to wait another year? So, well, well they, will, they will be set up, but... <laughs> That's on the heels of being pretty darn good in 2022. And I do think at some point next year, we'll see Libertor and Gorman. Mm -hmm. They should be good next year. They, they better do something to fill their hole at shortstop with the $60 million coming off the books. And I know that Jack Flaherty's salary is going to go up and that Arenado costs a lot more next year than he does this year. He's essentially free this year. But that being said, they need to find A, a pitcher that they can count on for innings, and B, a middle infielder that can be a force. And Seeger in L.A. would be the guy. Jim Bowden writing last week that if the Dodgers don't re-sign him, that he expects the Cardinals to make a strong move for the left-handed hitter. You just can't go into next year, Michelle, with the thought that, okay, we're going to bring up Gorman and Libertor and, and Thompson, get them ready for 2023. I, I think the Cardinals, when we see the crowds, when we see the TV ratings, mm -hmm. I don't think the Cardinals can afford to do that. This is 
I think we're learning. This is a great winning baseball town. It's, it might not be the baseball town that we thought it was. I also think the pandemic has changed no doubt. a lot. No doubt. You know, I, I would have never said that prior to the pandemic. And even when we were in the pandemic, we were getting so many texts and mic drops of people saying how much they missed being at the ballpark. And they would give anything to go back to Bush Stadium and watch any Cardinals baseball. And I think that that sentiment over time shifts when you're at home for so long. Your consumption habits change. Your uh, financial situation may have changed. And even though the Cardinals are pumping out great deals to go to the ballpark, it still all adds up. And the, the sport as a whole is pretty boring right now. Mm-hmm. From the 314, take it or leave it, Wayno is the second best pitcher in Cardinals history. Ooh, that's a bold statement. He's a great one, but there are a lot of guys on that list. Yeah, you've got the guy that went into the Hall of Fame this weekend. You've got Chris Carpenter, who's already in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, Gibby, we know, is number one. Yeah, of course. You had Dizzy Dean. You had Jesse Haynes. But you know what, Michelle? I'm going to take it. I was thinking about this yesterday watching him. This is going to be one of those remember moments when we look back and we're like, do you remember what Adam Wainwright did in 2020 and in 2021, the way that at the end of his career, he was able to rise up and be this guy for the team. This is unbelievable what we're seeing from him and we should savor it. Totally. I think, I think everybody is, but that's one of the reasons that it makes me bummed that people aren't going to the ballpark because when Wayno's not there and Yachty's not there, you're, you're going to miss those guys. It used to be that if you had a great pitcher that the stadium was sold out on the day that he pitched. And that's the way it should be for Adam Wainwright, especially at this stage when we don't know if he's going to be back next year. In this last month of the season, every single game that Adam Wainwright pitches should be a sellout. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And we appreciate your texts. Coming up next, the Cardinals did avoid a sweep at the hands of the Pirates, but how big is that? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Eight oh four in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman from Whitmore Country Club, the site of the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament being held today. Folds of Honor doing great work. They provide scholarships for the family members of fallen military personnel. They do great work in their golf tournament here at Whitmore today. The Cardinals, after winning six in a row against Pittsburgh and Kansas City, have now lost four of their last six, or uh, rather. Four of their last six, yeah, against... Yeah, four of six. Yeah, against Milwaukee and Pittsburgh. They've fallen four and a half games off the pace, three games on the loss side behind Cincinnati in the wild card race. And yesterday on Valley Sports, Jim Hayes asked John Mozalek what he has thought of the Cardinals' recent performance. Well, I mean, obviously, you look at the last couple games, you just never had that big hit. Um, but of course, you know, this is a game of, of where they keep track and, and records matter. And so unfortunately, you know, losing those two games um, hurts, especially when you're competing for a wild card spot. So I, I think the, the real thing to focus on now is between now and the end of the season, we just have to find ways to get wins. From our standpoint, you know, we're starting to get healthy. Getting Jack back uh, is super encouraging. We'll get KK back here um, today and then likely... Um, still add a, a couple additional arms probably by the time we get to September as we can expand rosters. So, you know, now it's, you know, can we take advantage of, of the schedule we have? 
And Mel, Michelle, I thought that when they acquired Nolan Arenado, that the Cardinals had a, a player with that it factor. Mm-hmm. That guy where you he, he's up in a key situation and he's going to get a hit. And there have been times in the season where he has come up big, but there have been a lot of times where he's been there in that clutch situation and has not come through. And for whatever reason, the Cardinals are still missing, to me, that it factor that separates the teams that win from the teams that don't. And it, it seems like the identity of this team is still a little questionable. We talked about that last week, and you brought up a great point about it being veteran starting pitchers that are going to, uh, if they make the playoffs, lead the way. But I would think up to this point, we've, I mean, we're at August 23rd. We've seen many other Cardinals teams with a defined identity. And yep. this team, it just kind of feels like as soon as you think you have them figured out or as soon as they get on a roll, something happens and the pendulum swings towards disappointment. When the Cardinals win six in a row, you think, okay, they're they're putting it together. As John Moselek said, they're getting healthy. If they're going to make a run, this is an opportunity. And then they lose two or three to Milwaukee, which normally you would say, okay, well, the Brewers are leading the division and they're a legitimate World Series contender. But then they had that game last Wednesday where they were winning up until the ninth inning and they had it in hand mm-hmm. and they lost the game. And then all of a sudden the disappointment sets in again. But then they come out, they win the game on Thursday and they look strong again. So you think, all right, well, this team has an opportunity here to go on a run. They're playing Pittsburgh. They're playing Detroit. They're playing Pittsburgh again. Then they're facing the Reds, who is the team that is the team that they're going to be chasing in the wild card. And then they drop two or three to the Pirates. So as soon as you think you have them figured out, or as soon as you think they really have a little bit of momentum, or there's an opportunity for them to build on something, it goes back the other way. And the Cardinals yesterday drew 34,000. Well, the total attendance, tickets distributed was 34,000. When you look at the stands, it doesn't look like there were only 10,000 empty seats, but that's what they announced yesterday. And Michelle, we're getting a lot of texts here, Comfort Service, text line 65780, about people not going to games. Yeah, like this one, Randy, from the 573. Randy, you're exactly correct on Cardinals baseball. We saw this in the 70s and the 90s. Fans will stay home in St. Louis when the Cardinals don't play well. Well, yeah. And you know what? If it comes back to if a product is mediocre, do you want to spend premium dollars on it, regardless of what the product is? If you have a car that is that has really mediocre reviews, are you going to go spend premium money on a car that has mediocre reviews? If if a restaurant, if somebody said, yeah, the restaurant was okay, it wasn't great, I don't know if I'd go back, are you going to go to that <laughs> restaurant? You know, no. it just doesn't work that way. And that's, what I think, what the Cardinals, and unfortunately for them, it shows up on TV every night. I think that's what they're running into. From the 636, I don't think the lack of fans is because of the losing. I think it's the perfect storm, losing COVID and uninteresting baseball. I think it's more about uninteresting baseball more than anything else. There's no doubt. And that's just not indigenous to the Cardinals either. Right. This is a boring sport right now. And baseball, Rob Manfred, all the general managers, all the people that are in analytics, they have to take it upon themselves to find a way to make their sport more entertaining. I think it's really interesting. Michelle, the team that leads Major League Baseball since the All-Star break in stolen bases is the New New York Yankees. They also lead in winning percentage. And when you look at the teams this year that have the best winning percentage or the the best stolen base percentage in baseball, generally they're at the top of the standings too. People... uh, in analytics say well there's no place for the stolen base there is place a place for running in baseball and we're seeing it but 
people are so afraid to give up an out, and it drives me crazy. From the 636, the fan apathy nonsense is making me mad. It's COVID. That's the reason that people aren't going to the ballpark. I don't go because of COVID, even though the offense sucks. Well, that that's reasonable. But TV ratings are down, too. Right. And so... Well, I think you, some people yeah, have a, a yeah. hard time finding the game, you right. know, or it's not working for them. So we, of course, need to mention that. Right. I, uh, I, I get the COVID thing, but... I don't. Is it that many people that have, out of the three million people in the St. Louis market, you can't get more than twenty-five thousand to go to a game? And here's, the, I, I totally agree that some people are not going to the ballpark because of COVID. However, I'm seeing tons of concerts in St. Louis that are packed. I'm seeing airplanes packed. People are going on vacation, mm-hmm. and you would think that. Wayno and Yachty might be reason enough to go. Nolan Arenado, mm-hmm. seeing him play, might be reason enough to go. If you're worried about COVID, that's one thing, but it is in an outdoor stadium. You know, I, I think we're seeing it in stadiums around the country. When a team is good, fans are sh- are showing up. I don't, I don't think that it's a one size fits all excuse for everyone as to why they're not going. Certainly, some people are being more cautious, especially now with the rising numbers with COVID. But I don't think that it's as simple as saying, "Well, we're still in a pandemic and people." Are are still dealing with COVID, so they're not going to the ballpark because I'm seeing people go to mass gatherings in St. Louis for other things. And if the Cardinals were in first place, I wonder if it would be different. If the Cardinals had... If uh, they were the Brewers right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. W- would things look different? I, I kind of think they would. And I know that there are pockets of people where you're going to say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going because of COVID. But I have to believe that there are people that aren't going because they don't like the Pobo or they don't like the style of play or they don't like the way that the game is being played in 2021. All very reasonable. But the fact of the matter is it's not helping the Cardinals sell tickets. And it, uh, one interesting point that I saw over the weekend and I've seen it for a while now is people say well send a message by not buying tickets so what you're telling me is that an owner who has consistently said the reason that we can spend the money that we do and have a top 10 payroll is because of the crowds we draw you think that you giving them less money is going to make them spend more yeah, no, that's not how that's going to work. <laughs> I don't think so. But I do understand the, the thought process of if I don't like a product, I'm not going to spend my money. That's reasonable. Yeah, you can <laughs> I mean, in any other walk yeah. of life, if you if you go to a restaurant, like you said, and the the food was terrible, it was salty or it was cold, you're not going to give them your money anymore. No. You vote with your money. Right. You have to, if you're a business and the Cardinals at the end of the day are a business, you have to compete. And like you just mentioned, there are a lot of other things going on in the area. And now people do have a a reason to not go because they were able to get used to not going with COVID. So it's an interesting situation that the Cardinals are dealing with. And ultimately, they're going to have to have an exciting winning product. If if they're going to get 45,000, 47,000 in their their stadium, they're going to have to have an exciting winning product. That's just the way it is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up from here at the Whitmore Country Club, the site of the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament, we're going to talk to a great American and a great St. Louis and Jim Holcreve, one of the best golfers ever to come out of our area. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're at Whitmore for the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament. And one of the best golfers, professional or amateur, that our community has ever turned out is Jim Holtgrieve, who's with us now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing fine, sir. How are you? Everything's great. And you're here for the uh, the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament. And we'll get to the tournament in a moment. But I mentioned that uh, you, you're one of the best that we've ever turned out. And you really... Had a, had a great amateur career. You must take a, a great deal of pride in not only the, the career that you had individually, but the Walker Cup playing for your country and things like that. Well, Randy, there's no question that, uh, you know, a, a punk kid from St. Louis, Missouri, from Webster Groves would get a chance to play for his country. And as I've said to so many young men uh, around the country, that there's no greater honor in any sport than to play for your country. So... The fact that I got a chance to do that with three Walker Cups and two world teams um, and get a chance to meet, play golf with Mr. Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas, and then get a chance to meet President 43 Bush. And I mean, it's uh, it, every time I kind of look back, it's it's just really that's me. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it, it's an honor. In addition to producing great golf talent like yourself, we've seen what a golf city St. Louis is when the PGA Championship came. And we talk a lot about this golf tournament or the Ascension Charity Classic. But as a native St. Louisan, it has to be great for you to know that when a big golf event comes to St. Louis, the sports fans are very into it and they show up. It's unbelievable how, uh, Michelle, you're exactly correct. When when the 18 uh, PGA came to Belle Reve, uh, I, I was... And I, I was there last night at dinner. The picture that we have on the 18th green, you know, there must be 30 or 40,000 people around that green. Um, the people of St. Louis are so supportive, obviously, of Cardinal baseball and the blues and all that. But when a, we have a major golf tournament here, the fans show up, which is which is very, very special. And now we talk about playing for America. Boy, globally. The sport is so good, and the U.S. will have their hands full in the Ryder Cup next month, won't they? They will. There's no question about it, and I think that's one of the things that I always, with my Walker Cup team, I wanted to make sure that our, our team knew each other, took care of each other, but also used this opportunity to meet people from all over the world and develop relationships, because I think that's what our my game does it develops relationships all over the world and it's amazing how i give ozzy smith a lot of trouble in fact i just met vince coleman all these guys brett hall they all come back to our my game and play golf and they're really good at it too but um it, golf has just been such a great sport to meet so many people jim which golfer do you love to watch now wow well, um, that, ooh, that's a tough question. I He's hit, He hit like DeChambeau. Was, uh, <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I knew Bryson. He was not on one of my teams. Uh, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and Harris English were, uh, were a part of my Walker Cup teams. And uh, I've always been, Jordan Spieth has always been so impressive to me because he was the most mature young man I ever met. And the way he handled himself, and he said Mrs. Holtgrieve, and he said Mr. Holtgrieve, and he, he was just brought up the right way. So I've always been in favor of Jordan Spieth. What do you think the biggest difference is with today's golfer as opposed to when you were first coming up and coming on tour? Video. Video. 
I, I say that quickly, but I, as I've talked to so many teachers around the country, I say, why are the young players today so much better than what we were? I know the equipment. We all talk about the ball and the shafts and the equipment and all that. But everybody tells me it's, it's a video, how we can look and change and we can change somebody, some player right then and there if we see something wrong with their swing. It's video. It, it seems like there's so many changes that have happened. In addition to video, it seems like with the way that guys take care of their body, whether it's video or whether it's working out or nutrition or, you know, uh, electroshock therapy like Phil Mickelson or meditation, it seems like everything is a scientific approach now to golf or, or really professional sports in general. Michelle, you are exactly, uh, <laughs> you are exactly head on. It, that's exactly right. The workout that these young men do today you know, look at Justin Thomas. He, he weighed 135 pounds. And I say, why do you hit the ball so far? He says, because of my core, you know, his core. And it, it's just the workout that they do and the trailers that follow the tour where they can work out. And obviously they can get, you know, the, I guess eat the proper foods and do all the proper things. It's, uh, it's completely different than when, when I did it. I was at the BMW a couple of years ago at Medina, 609-yard par 5, and Justin <laughs> is 309 off the tee, so he's got 300 in, and he hits a 3-wood, 300 onto the green. So and, and he's putting for eagle after two shots. And uh, I wasn't obviously surprised by the 309 drive, but, man, the 300 with the 3-wood onto the green and a, a lofted shot, it was unbelievable. Yeah, my son just played down in Dallas, 297-yard par 4, hit three wood, made a hole in one. I mean, wow. it's unbelievable. So, and I, it's funny, during a practice session we had um, Justin Thomas, and I, I used to hit the ball, I think, pretty far for, for myself, and I hit it about 285 down this fairway, and I said, Justin, chase that. When we get up over the hill, his ball is 67 yards past mine. <laughs> 67. That's amazing. So, yeah, it's uh, it, how far. And, and that's why what Mr. Palmer and Mr. Nicholas always have said, we got to do something about the ball mm -hmm. because we're going to take these beautiful courses that we have around the world and we're going to make them uh, obsolete because we, the golf ball is going to go so far. we we got to change some of this. So I'm hoping they do. Well, and the preponderance of golfers are past their prime. I mean, so many of us are 45 plus. We can't hit the ball that far anymore anyway. Well, I mean, <laughs> as great as the ball is, leave, leave the ball for us. Well, now you're, you're still young pup, uh, but I'm old. And so leave the ball for us. But for all the young guys and for all this, yeah. we got to do something about yeah. the golf ball. Jim Holgrieve, how did you become introduced to Folds of Honor? Well, a gentleman that I uh, worked with uh, before, Matt Schwartz, is uh, at the president of uh, Courtesy Products. And I used to work for another uh, uh, sub-company uh, of that company. And I got in a conversation with him. We sit right next to him at the Muni Opera. And I was telling him about how uh, I got President Bush invited me, 43 invited me down to his Warrior Open. And um, I did that for four times and met all these you know, these uh, warriors with prosthetic arms and legs and playing, playing my game. And here I am complaining about a double bogey. Um, so I met him and I said, hey, I'm not sure because I want to, President Bush told me about going to play in these events. Make sure you go play an event where the money is given back to the, to the vet, to, the, to the, what the, the program is, not administration costs and all these other things. 
And so when uh, Matt told me all about Folds of Honor, I knew about it, but when he confirmed to me that almost 92% of every dollar gets to where it's supposed to go, I said, I'm in. So I said, what can I do to help? And uh, that's why I'm here today. And it, it's, it was and is so easy for people to fall through the cracks. People that are families of military people, they're relying on that person to come home. If they don't, then what do you do for education? What do you do for the advancement of that family? And that's what this is all about, is providing opportunities for those families. Absolutely, Randy. And from what I've seen here today, this is this is a mind blower for me. This, this is, I'm going to... I get pretty emotional about a lot of things. I'm sure I'm going to cry a couple times a day. But to see all these people out here, all these volunteers who are making it possible, because if we didn't have the volunteers, we wouldn't have these events. And, and, and what we're going to do to give back to our wounded vets and our disabled vets, I mean, that's, that's the most important thing. Jim Holgrieve, great to see you. Thank you very much for stopping by. I know you're going to be speaking to the golfers here in a, a little while. We appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Though. Well, Randy, thank you. Michelle, thank you very much. That is the great Jim Holgrieve joining us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Stick around. The fight is coming your way next. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker. Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the Monday edition of The Fight. Let's Randy's competition. It's Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. Are you ready to take on Randy in the fight this morning? Yep. All right, cool. Question number one. Let's jump right in. Happy 33rd birthday to Cardinal starter Miles Michaelis. Michaelis was drafted in the 2009 MLB draft by which team? Was it the San Francisco Giants, the Texas Rangers, or the San Diego Padres? The San Diego Padres. Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th career home run on Sunday, becoming the 28th player in MLB history to ever do so. Miggy made his Major League debut on June 20th, 2003, for which team? The Florida Marlins, Detroit Tigers, or New York Yankees? The Florida Marlins. Keith Hernandez, John Tudor, Bill White, and Tom Herr were inducted into the Cardinals Hall of Fame on Saturday. Which of the position players had the best batting average while playing with the Cardinals? Was it Keith Hernandez, was it Tom Herr, or was it Bill White? It was Keith Hernandez. And who holds the Cardinals' single-season runs batted in record? Is it Rogers Hornsby, Joe Medwick, or Mark McGuire? Joe Medwick. Okay. We are going to text our score here, and then I need to find Randy. Oh, there he is. Come on over, Randy. Let me text Emily the score here because we are on remote today. We are at the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament out at Whitmore Country Club. Randy? Get your headset on, and please say good morning to Mike. Mike, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. How are you? Great to have you with us. Everything's good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. 
All right, Randy, question number one. Happy 33rd birthday to Cardinal starter Miles Michaelis. Michaelis was drafted in the 2009 Major League Baseball draft by which team? I believe, let's see, he was with Texas and then the Padres. I think that's the way it worked. I think it was the Rangers. Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th career home run on Sunday, becoming the 28th player in MLB history to ever do so. Miggy made his major league debut on June 20th, 2003 for which team? The Florida Marlins. Keith Hernandez, John Tudor, Bill White, and Tom Herr were inducted to the Cardinals Hall of Fame on Saturday. Which of the position players had the best batting average while playing with the Cardinals? I would think that... Uh, I'm going to go Bill White. I think he was, Keith was like 299. Tommy was, he didn't have a career 300 average. I believe that Bill White had a better than 300 career average with the Cardinals. I'm going to go with him. And who holds the Cardinals single season runs batted in record? Single season runs batted in, re in record for the Cardinals. Um... I think this is old school. It's not Hack Wilson because he was with the Cubs when he had the 190, which is pretty incredible. Uh, but somebody had more than 147. I'll do the lifeline here just in case. Is it Rogers Hornsby, Joe Medwick, or Mark McGuire? Uh, so Big Mac, I don't think, got to Medwick. Medwick won a triple crown. And I'm going to go with Ducky Medwick. All right, Emily, ring the bell. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. The fight, sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Congratulations to Mike, who got all four correct. Mike, you got all four. Whoa. You beat Randy four to two. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Let's run through Thank the answers. So, Miles Michaelis was drafted in the 2009 Major League Baseball draft by the San Diego Padres. Uh, Miguel Cabrera made his Major League debut on June 20th, 2003, for the Florida Marlins. Out of the Cardinals Hall of Famers that were inducted on Saturday, the position player that had the highest batting average while playing with the Cardinals was, in fact, Keith Hernandez, mm. 299 over 10 years in St. Louis. Bill White, 298. Oh. So you were very close, Randy, over eight years in St. Louis. And it is Joe Medwick that holds the Cardinals' single-season runs batted in record. It's 154, and he uh, did that feat in 1937. So, Mike, congratulations, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mike. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. Mike, a man, a few words. That's right. But you know what? The, the few words he spoke were correct. Yeah, that's right. He, he got it right. That's pretty cool. Good for him. And, hey, it's great to be here at the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament. And uh, thanks to our friends at Schnooks. They're big supporters of Folds of Honor. Uh, I'm going to be with the Quick Trip group today. And you know how much I love Quick Trip. So oh. I'm going to be playing with them. That'll be a good time. This is the group so, for you, Randy. And I know Craig Suntrip came in and said hi because you are a, uh, a, a Suntrip 
customer in addition to a SunTrip endorser. That's right. BMW of West St. Louis can't recommend them highly enough. Thank you to Craig SunTrip and his team for always taking such great care of me and of my vehicle. And it was great to see them here today. We're seeing a lot of people that we know here yeah. today. It's a very popular so golf tournament. I just went over to check in and right below my name was Kindle Betts. Oh, there you go. So Love it. Yeah, CKB is going to be here. So a great support for Folds of Honor here in the St. Louis metro area. And we're, we're proud to be here today at Whitmore Country Club. And as the opportunity arises for you, we hope that you will support Folds of Honor as well throughout the course of the year because there's always going to be that need for people throughout the country, uh, the widows and widowers of fallen military people uh, and their kids that need to benefit. And uh, so... 92% of the money that's raised here today will go to scholarships for those young people. So we want to make sure that they're taken care of. Great to have you with us. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. The Blues are less than a month away from starting training camp. We're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, our friend Chris Kerber, about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN from the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament at Whitmore Country Club. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, is standing by. Kerbs, before we get started, thank you very much for filling in on Friday. It's greatly appreciated, and you did a great job as always. Randy, thank you. I uh, hope you had a great birthday weekend and, and enjoyed some time off. And uh, I, I was able to win the fight for you, and I retired immediately. <laughs> Good job. Thank you very much for taking yeah. care of that for us. So here we are yeah, less wonder. than a month away from the start of uh, training camp curbs. What are, aside from Tarasenko, and we talk about him, and we will talk about him today, but what are the big things that you're going to be looking at once training camp starts for the Blues? Well, uh, the, the health of Colton Pareko, uh, I, I don't know where the health sits of, uh, of, of Oscar Sundquist. Um, if he's ready to go, great. If he's not, uh, who slides into those roles there? I'm going to be really looking to see, you know, what potential line combinations Craig Berube decides to start with, with having Butchnevich and, and Saad as an option. You know, and, and then again, like last season, do we start this training camp with Robert Thomas in the top six role and maybe Braden Shin on the wing? And, and if so, can he hold on to it this year, which did not happen last year? So, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of things that are very positive, uh, and, you know, and, and some real good options. We just have to see if those options actually play out and result in production. Curbs, who's the guy that you're most intrigued to see in training camp? Okay, well, I, 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 from a new standpoint, I'm really intrigued to see Butchnevich and see what kind of uh, chemistry he ends up developing whether he ends up on the left wing with David Perron and, and Ryan O'Reilly or you know does he end up on a right wing situation that kind of stuff because I you know where they decide to play him I think it could really dictate a lot when he was asked you know the question about playing the left side while he's primarily played the right side with the New York Rangers he I thought he said something interesting and I hope we get some access to these guys to, to ask some questions about this because he said you know in, in Russia it really doesn't when, when he was playing over in Russia it really didn't matter what side they played because once the puck drops, you kind of move just about everywhere. And I think a lot of guys start to feel that way now in, in the National Hockey League. It's, it, it's, there is some structure to, to what goes on. But depending on where you are on the ice, when a puck is turned over, when it gets sent in, you may be the first forward in, which means the centerman drops to the wing, vice versa, things along those kind of lines. So 
Um, to me, that's one of the things I'm real curious to see how, how quickly things develop. And Curbs, one of the guys that I like and I know you like a lot is Mikola. And he took a step. And then he didn't play for a long time last year. But Mikola, to me, winds up being a key guy for the Blues because of the loss of a lot of big guys, Bo Meester, Petrangelo specifically, and needing some size on the left side. This is a great opportunity for Nico Mikola. It really is. It's important. You just mentioned having some size back there. And that size on the back end, Still proves to be a difference maker in the playoffs. Maybe not as critical on you know over the course of the regular season, but man, it makes a difference in the playoffs and, and when, when things really start to grind it out. And frankly, the success of this franchise right now and the continued opportunity to stay in a window to compete for a Stanley Cup is going to rely heavily on the continued growth and development of those guys. You just can't go out and fill every hole via free agency in a cap era. You can't definitely do it when the cap is flat from last year to this year, maybe another year or two after that. You're going to need guys whose production, whose skill level continue to rise, whose confidence continues to grow. And it takes a long time, as you know, for defensemen in the National Hockey League. You know, a, a, a guy that's been in the league six, seven years still has a room to grow, especially on the defensive side of things. And, and he clearly isn't even at that level yet. So, Having said that, he's going to have a big opportunity, and, and his continued development can really make you a much better team if he's able to step into a bigger role. you got to like, too, Randy, the fact that, that last year you would see him in some penalty kill situations. Uh, Craig Berube would put him in the final minute and a half of a hockey of a period or the game, that kind of stuff. There were opportunities where he showed that he was worthy of gaining some of the coaches' trust. Curves, whether it's Vladimir Tarasenko or maybe a Zdeno Chara who has been linked to the Blues, if you were a betting man, do you think that this is the Blues team that we see when the puck drops on opening night, or do you think Doug Armstrong has another move up his sleeve? Well, I, I still think there's got another move up his sleeve, and, and the reason is is because you still have the Robert Thomas contract that needs to get done. And depending on where that eventually settles in and – you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see that get, uh, you know, almost where the the pressure and, and the deadline of training camp is the, the added pressure to get that deal done. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if that takes a little while longer. But having said that, depending on where that falls in could dictate cap-wise where the Blues have to go one way or another. Now, do they have a guy that's injured that may start on the, uh, you know, injured list and give them some cap relief from that standpoint that I don't know yet. So those are all some internal things that they may, you know, be having to look at, you know, but if, if the cap is the way it is, and if everybody is close to ready to go by the time they get Robert Thomas signed, there may need to be another move or two just to make sure that the cap space is, uh, is there or that they're under the cap. So I think the cap may dictate another move, but I said it all along, uh, you know, obviously easily change if the right deal comes about, or if Doug understands his cap situation to the point where now it's more clear what he could retain in Vladimir Tarasenko's salary or not. But to me, this just felt all along like if the real market hasn't been there it, for Vladimir Tarasenko, it'll have to be reset. So I, I, I still think there's a great chance he starts the year with Hmm. And so, Curbs, if that's not the case, though, if the Blues can find a taker of the player and the contract, open up some cap space. Back to Michelle's question. How do you think Chara would fit in here? 
Okay, I love the idea of seeing him here. Now, that's just because I'm a fan of not only the, the player but the person. And uh, I, I think that he's shown he can still be effective. Uh, he's shown that you know, you've got some experience there. You've got the size. You've got the leadership. You've, I mean, you've got the tenacity and the fight with him. So I, I like everything about the idea of bringing him in if, if it's possible and if it gets underfit there because you know, he doesn't need to be playing 16, 17 minutes a game. If it is 12 minutes a game, uh, that's there. You know, you know now, look, the, as we just talked about Mikola, you know, we, we talked about the health of, of Colton Pareko potentially, you know, where where is he sitting? And I haven't checked in on him yet. But you, know, you look at that situation, and when you consider Doug Armstrong's track record of how he has liked to build his defensive group over the last 11, 12 years, I still think that that MO says there's room for one more veteran NHL defenseman to add depth to this group and a little more, uh, you know, predictability. That makes me think that that, you know, if, if there's some smoke there, there's probably some fire and a possibility. Curbs, how do you think the blues stack up in the central? Yeah. That's an awesome. Um, I don't know that Minnesota has gotten better in this off season. They've got some question marks that they'll have to now reboot some chemistry with the, having bought out Parisi and Suter. Um, I think the Chicago Blackhawks have gotten better. And if Jonathan Taze is able to return at some point in time this year, that's interesting. But they've, they've made some good moves, uh, I think, defensively. And, of course, they've they got Marc-Andre Fleury, and the goalie can be a difference maker for them. Nashville, I think, is uh, kind of floating in the same boat, you know, so even though we didn't see them last year, I'm not sure that, that that's an improved team. Dallas is going to be good. Uh, you know, the goaltending situation is, is was solid with Dobin. They're, they're going to be pretty good again. So I, I like the way the Blues shake out. Now you got the Coyotes coming into the division this year. You know, they made some moves. I, I don't expect them to be very good, but they did have the Blues number. And then, of course, Colorado's there. I, I, the way I look at this shaping up is I definitely see the Blues finishing in a top three spot, you know, where you're not dealing with the wild card situation. I think they've got the talent. I think they've got the depth. I think they've got the goaltending. I think they've got the coaching. Uh, to make that happen, I like the moves that the Blues have made this offseason, you know, and, and a, a really good, healthy Tarasenko. If his attitude is okay to start, that's great. If the Blues end up moving him and get a player back, then you've got some room. There's opportunity there. So I'm, I'm really liking the way the Blues uh, look right now in this Central Division. And finally, Curbs, you mentioned that the Coyotes uh, made some moves. They might make the big move. Uh, for all of the instability that the Blues have had over the years in Bill Hunter wanting to move the team to uh, Ontario or for the end of the Laurie ownership, we didn't know where it would go with uh, Checkets. And then Checkets, we didn't know where it would go and uh, wound up with our great new ownership with, with Tom Stillman. How about the city of Glendale deciding on Thursday that they are not going to negotiate for an extension of the lease with the Coyotes anymore. So right now, at the end of the 21-22 season, the Coyotes don't have a home. And I know Gary Bettman has really worked hard to keep a franchise in the Valley of the Sun. But man, I don't know if they can do it now. Can, can they do it? Randy, that listen, that franchise, since they moved down to Arizona, it really almost hasn't had a chance. And, and the reason I say that, when I was in Springfield, we were affiliated with the Coyotes from 96 to 2000, right? Very much tied into at least reading and staying up to what was going on. The original, Bellman and Burke, and, you know, one was more of a land. Figured out 
it was America West at the time. I don't even know what the arena is called. And and where part of the you, you couldn't even see the rink on one end, right? If you if you had seats on one end. Then they get out to Glendale, and it's just never worked. I mean, you're trying to have games, and with the traffic and everything going out there, somebody trying to get there for a 7 o'clock game on the far side of, uh, of the Phoenix area might have to leave by 6. It's just it's, it's, it's had its challenges. It's had its challenges on the ice. It's had its challenges financially with ownership. Those continue to happen. Every time they seem to look like they want to turn a corner uh, and, and, and some players come in, something happens, and they end up dumping the players, which really, if you think about it, it's – an interesting uh, parallel to some of those days of, of blues hockey, right? Where as soon as a player was needed to be paid, you know, they, they get dumped. And it, it, it's one of those challenges where Gary Bettman has fought hard and hard and hard for that market. No, I mean, remember how quickly they were pretty much willing to let the Atlanta market go, right? Cause they couldn't figure out how to get that ownership situation in there. Now the coyotes are hoping to still get something done temporarily with Glendale, but this has gone back and forth for so long. The city of Glendale has said, that's enough. They figured that they could replace all the tax revenue of the Coyotes by just getting 20 more concerts. And by not having to hold dates for the NHL, they might actually be able to fill that. And so there's still possibilities of that arena there. The ownership is committed to stay in there. The league is committed to stay in there. But they're going to have to finally get uh, an arena done in a part of town. And this is something the NHL has, has struggled with, Randy. In, they're in Arizona. They did it in Ottawa as well right where they have put and, and maybe in, in Miami too, they, they put arenas away from the downtown Metro areas. Right. And, and in all of those places, they have had attendance struggle at different times because not just of the way the teams were playing, but also because of location. It's a, it's a real interesting story to, to, to keep an eye on. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's not one that is going to go away anytime soon. And, and is just another interesting cloud over this franchise that has battled it for, for 20 plus years now. Yeah, it will be interesting to watch. Curbs, always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Have a great week. Okay, you guys have an awesome time out there. What, what a great event. So in, enjoy what's hopefully an awesome day. Thank you, sir, very much. That is Thanks. the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us on 101 ESPN. There is a lot going on in the world of sports right now. And coming up, it's time for a little game of panic or relax. On Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is 9.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy coming your way from the lobby of the Whitmore Country Club, the site of the Suntrip Folds of Honor Golf Tournament today. And they're going to raise a lot of money for Folds of Honor, and we're excited to be here. It's going to be a great day outside. And thanks to our friends at Folds of Honor for having us out here. It is time for a little game, Michelle, of panic or relax. And we can give the rules of the game, but we play it, but you can tell us what we have to do. Yeah, I'm going to provide you with storylines throughout the world of sports uh, where you can either panic or relax. You could say this is going to be something that's going to derail a season and I'm on the panic bus, or you could take Aaron Rodgers' advice and R-E-L-A-X. All right, Just I like relax. both. Just relax. All right, well, Randy, 
Andy, let's start with Mike Trout. So he's been dealing with a calf injury. It's had him sidelined since May 17th. And he's been really frustrated because this is a far longer stint on the IL than he ever anticipated that it would be. So before the game in Cleveland on Saturday, he was asked if he had any thoughts about shutting it down for the entire year. He says, I'm just trying to get back. Obviously, we're running out of time here, but my main focus is to get back on the field no matter when it is. Now, he was hitting 333 with eight home runs and 18 RBI in 36 games before he was injured. The Angels are 62 and 62 right now in fourth place in the AL West. They're 11 games behind the Astros. So are you panicking or relaxing if you're an Angels fan that you don't know when Mike Trout is going to return? I am going to relax. R-E-L-A-X. And here's why. I want Mike Trout to have a great record-setting career, and this year will derail that somewhat. But the big thing I want is for a healthy Mike Trout and Shohei Otani to be together for a whole season. And Anthony Rendon wouldn't hurt either. And some good pitching, and Joe Madden is the manager. <laughs> so having Mike Trout for September in this year is not going to make any difference at all to me. If the, they were in the race, if they were legitimate, then there would be reason for panic. But now... If I relax, I can give him September off and then October, November, December, January, February, and then he can come back in March and start in spring training games and his calf can be 100%. I would actually be more panicked if they tried to bring him back in September and that calf popped again. They can be pretty serious injuries. But right now, with Mike Trout and him being out, if I'm an Angels fan, I'm going to relax with the hope that I'm going to have him next year as I go for it. So you, as an Angels fan look at it like oh we're eight and a half games out in the wild card race so there's no chance we're making it this year let's not damage the face of the franchise well the co-face of the franchise right now at least right yeah (laughs) it's uh, i'm going for it next year with him Okay, let's now look at a, at a similar yet different situation. So the Orioles, the Braves handed the Orioles their 18th straight loss yesterday. It was a 3-1 loss again to the Braves that the Orioles had. This is the longest skid in Major League Baseball since the Royals dropped 19 straight in 2005. So if you are an Orioles fan, are you panicked because you know you're terrible and you're not really concerned about it? Or, or excuse me, are you relaxed because you know you're terrible and you're not really concerned about it? Or are you panicking because this is bad and you don't know when the end is near. Michelle, I'm panicked. (laughs) This is the perfect time to panic. And here's why. Because their terrible owner, Peter Angelos, finally turned over control of the franchise to somebody else. Mike Elias is their general manager. And they're doing things like getting Chris Davis to retire. They don't have to deal with his money anymore. And Mike Elias was brought in with the idea that we're going to do what Houston did. And we're going to build through our farm system. And we're going to win a world championship in four years. They have the second worst farm system in baseball, too. In addition to the 18-game losing streak, in addition to the fact that they don't have any players at the major league level that anybody knows. I guess John Meaton's through it. He, yesterday, in their loss, had a quality start. They're really, really obviously bad, and they don't look to be getting any better in the near future either. I think if I'm in Baltimore, though, I might be relaxed because it's Raven season. (laughs) That's the only thing that can make you relax. Exactly. (laughs) I might be so focused on Lamar Jackson that I don't really care that they've dropped 18 in a row. Now, here's a fun fact for you. 
the Orioles this season have had two losing streaks of 14 or more games. The Diamondbacks have had two losing streaks of 13 or more games. Obviously, the Cubs had their recent 14-gamer. Michelle, in the last 105 seasons, the longest Cardinal losing streak has been 11 games in 1978. Orioles and the Diamondbacks have both this year eclipsed the Cardinals' longest losing streak over the course of the last 105 years. We don't know bad baseball. <laughs> we don't. It's unbelievable. We know frustrating baseball, but yeah. we don't know really, really bad baseball. No, that's depressing. If Even if you're not an Orioles fan or a Diamondbacks fan, you have to be depressed for them. Speaking of depressing, we've got to talk about the A's. So a story came out over the weekend that the A's are proceeding with parallel paths, planning new ballparks in both Oakland and Las Vegas. We knew that Las Vegas was on the table. And the club officials, they're trying to find the best fit here and they don't know if the waterfront stadium that they proposed is going to go through in Oakland so on July 20th the Oakland City Council approved those preliminary terms for a 12 billion dollar waterfront project but the A's weren't satisfied with that proposal so they are moving ahead with the plans or at least trying to figure out what Las Vegas could be and the team is planning another trip to Vegas soon they're going to travel there every couple weeks to evaluate the options with that potential spot so if you're Oakland city officials and or an Oakland sports fan. Are you panicked or are you relaxing? Because it's still early in the process. I am relaxed. You need to relax. But I shouldn't be. So if I'm Oakland, I've already lost the Warriors. I've already lost the Raiders. And clearly, I, I don't really care about having sports teams. Michelle, I did a Google Maps of that Howard Terminal project in Oakland where they want to build, and they want the $12 billion to help revive an area that kind of looks like our waterfront uh, south of the arch. Mm -hmm. And it's just decrepit. All the roads are terrible. All the buildings are completely vacant. I don't know why Oakland wouldn't want to make their area better. It's, it's supposed to be an up-and-coming area. Obviously, there's a ton of money there because of San Francisco right across the bay. People have to live somewhere. Right. I, uh, they're relaxed, but they shouldn't be. They should be panicked because if they want to be a major sports or a major city, they have to have professional sports, something. And if they lose the A's, they'll have nothing left. So they're wrongfully relaxed. Wrongfully, for sure. I would think if any of the situations that I have thrown up, if anyone should be panicked, it should be Oakland. And, and as a fan, I'm panicked. But if I'm a member of the city council, if I'm the mayor, clearly I don't care. So I'm relaxed. Or if you're a fan, are you not panicking because you know how this is going to turn out? Yeah. Like, uh, you've you know, seen the other two. You, you know how the story yeah, ends. It's really sad. I, I feel bad for their fans because they've had a good team. And the, it, that's just a really bad area. Oakland Alameda Coliseum, they, yeah, sure, they have the BART that goes there and you can walk right in. It's, But the stadium is terrible. And I just can't figure out why, because the A's want to build the stadium themselves. What they're asking for is infrastructure and help in reviving an, a, a, a downtrodden area. I don't know why a government wouldn't want to help revive an, a downtrodden area. Especially after you've lost franchises yeah, recently. Yeah. yeah, and you can make money off of this. As a community, you can make money off of A's will be able to attract. It'll be like their ballpark village, but it'll be on steroids because it's a much bigger area. From our vantage point, watching this go down in Oakland, and I, I really empathize with, sympathize with the people 
there because we know what it's like to have that dangled over your head. But I also look at our city who was fighting tooth and nail to keep their team yeah. and everything was working against them. And, you know, conversely, the situation, the city seems to be like, okay, well, here's this proposal. If it works, it works. If not, the desperation factor doesn't seem to be there. And as no. a fan, that would bother me because yeah. we had that here. Right. And, and at least... We had people that were trying. Jay Nixon wanted to make it happen. Credit to our board of aldermen in the city that approved financing. And they knew, everybody knew, that Kroenke wanted to leave town, but they didn't know that the NFL was going to screw him. But that's exactly what happened. If you're in Oakland, you haven't had anything close to what Nixon and Slay and the board of aldermen here and Peacock and Blitz, you haven't had anything like that in Oakland. Actually, the... It appears the only people that are really making an effort for the A's to stay in Oakland are the A's themselves. Right. <laughs> so I don't blame them for no. exploring both options. No. And I wonder, if you're in Oakland, can you become a fan of the Niners and the Giants? And do you stay a fan of the Warriors, even though they've moved eight miles away to the Bay? Can uh, I wonder if they have... Like, in, in New York, you're either a Yankee fan or a Mets fan. You aren't a fan of both, generally. I wonder if the other teams bail on you, if you're in Oakland, if you can become a fan of the San Francisco teams. I would imagine that the Warriors, you might still have affection for because it's mm. not that far and they were yours right how, how could you root against steph curry you can't you just can't yeah. um but the other ones i don't know especially if your entire life you were an oakland fan yep. i don't know if that's a bandwagon that you can jump on i might if they lose the a's too and i'm in oakland i might just be done with sports forever yeah <laughs> maybe know? maybe i cheer for the warriors but i would have such a bad taste in my mouth that i don't know how you i mean think about us we are a dolphin show now but yep. it's it's hard for us to emotionally really buy in and really connect we we are searching actively searching for a team to talk about and to try to cheer for because so many people play fantasy football and they mm -hmm. want to hear about nfl news so we can't fully escape from it but it's not it's never the same no. as the team you grew up loving or the team that represented your city for a long time it is never the same no and for those people and, and this is the second time the Raiders have left them. It's really tough. And one thing that Al Davis said, and maybe this should apply to the Warriors and the A's as well. Al Davis said, we're a global brand. That's why it never said Oakland on their jerseys. It only said Raiders. He said, the city is irrelevant to what we are. So maybe that's the way we need to look at it as sports fans. If the teams are going to not apply themselves to a city sometimes, and many do, the Cardinals obviously care about St. Louis, but if a franchise doesn't really outwardly care for a city, we can just watch on TV and find our favorite logo. That's right. And we picked a pretty good one in the Dolphins. Yeah, Tua. <laughs> Tua was sharp on Saturday. Ooh. We're going to, well, hey, let me just tell you this. You're going to hear a lot of that T-Pain song this year on Garrett and Smallman. <laughs> Fins up. Let's go. Let's go, Dolphins. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman from Whitmore Country Club on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Adam Wainwright turns 40 a week from today. How good is he right now? That's amazing. And we'll tell you how good next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. And that's how we start the ball game. A strikeout of Zutsugo. Strikeout. Back-to-back -back K's for Adam Wainwright. For the 2-2 pitch. And he strikes out. There's a swing and a miss. First time through the lineup. Four strikeouts. No walks for Wainwright. Strikeout. Number five. Check swing, and he went. Strikeout number six 
The 2-2 pitch. Adam way out in front. And that'll be a strikeout. 2-2. Swing and a miss. Back-to-back case to end the top of the eighth. Nine strikeouts for Wayno. Danny Mack, the call yesterday on Valley Sports as the Cardinals won at 3 nothing. Adam Wainwright with another shutout against the Pirates. He's pretty good against them. And Michelle, I thought you made such a salient point earlier, and I think it's something that we all need to take to heart. We, we have to savor what we're seeing from Adam Wainwright because we don't know if this is going to be his last month in Major League Baseball, and it's so good because we just can't count on it in the future. You have to enjoy it and really take it in. Yeah, after the news came that the Cardinals had engaged in discussions with Yadier Molina to return for next season, I think everyone just kind of assumes that Adam Wainwright will be back and that those two will be back together. But you never know. You never know if that's something that he's going to want to do. The Cardinals, I can't imagine there's one reason why they wouldn't want to bring him back for everything that he brings to the organization on and off the mound. But to think about what he's doing at this stage of his career, not only this season, but, but extending back to last season, this season he's gone at least seven innings in 14 of his 25 starts and he's gone four starts this year of eight plus scoreless innings it's unbelievable and he turns 40 in a matter of days and nobody does that nope. nobody does that so, so not only has be, has he been ridiculously great for the cardinals he's doing it when he's days away from turning 40 right he's he's actually better and more durable right now than max scherzer is which is saying something. Scherzer hasn't gone eight scoreless innings four times this year. And nobody, like we said, even the 25 and 30-year-old guys aren't doing that. And you think about where he is right now. In 2014, he won 19 games, and he was fantastic that year. He hasn't had a year that good until now. This is his best year in seven years at the age of 39. And we talk to him every week, and we've talked a lot about how he's able to do this. And he puts so much hard work and dedication into his craft from every aspect of it, whether it was adjusting his workout routine to include things that focus on pliability. And he removed running a lot from his routine because it was harder on his body or the Which way I have no problem with <laughs> whatever works for him. I don't care if he ever runs again, what do whatever, whatever he's doing is working. Right. But he talked about maybe cutting back on certain foods or the way that he thought maybe he was a little bit too addicted to video at times. And, the pandemic forced him to find a happy medium there. It just seems like he's constantly, even at this stage in his career, still trying to be better and still trying to evolve and work on himself. And it's paying such dividends. It's it's actually amazing what he's able to do. And you're right. We don't know how much longer we're going to get Adam Wainwright or at least this Adam Wainwright. And Cardinals fans should really be savoring this because this is going to be one of those things that you look back on and you're like, remember when Adam Wainwright mm-hmm. was 40 years old and he was lights out for the Cardinals? It's, it's one of those remember when moments in Cardinal history. And when a guy is nearly 40 and when he's pitched as much as Adam has he he knows a lot so the question was posed to Wainwright yesterday if he knows before a game if he's going to pitch as well as he did yesterday you know when I wake up in the morning I always feel like I'm going to be pretty successful um that's the that's the mindset that I think every pitcher is trying to have but sometimes a a warm-up if it's really bad or really you know erratic comes up with the best starts and sometimes a really good warm-up comes out with the the worst starts so I, I try not to I try not to put any you know standing into any of that honestly Jack and I were talking about that the other day he's like oh man I had the best warm-up the other day 
and he was thinking, oh, no, I had the best warm-up because sometimes, like I said, it can be the opposite. But I'm like, dude, just don't put any stock into it at all. Don't, it doesn't matter. All you're doing is getting loose. All you're doing is getting warm so that you can go out and, and, and succeed. But, you know, I, I've, I don't have, like, you know, a blazing electric stuff. So my stuff is always kind of similar. Um, it's just all it comes down to execution. And that's the big thing that he can do now that maybe a young pitcher can't always do is he says it comes down to execution. He has the 88 pitch outing and then he throws 100. But he's he's always keeping his club in the game. His last start, the, the one against Milwaukee, what he throw 105 in six innings, but he only allowed two runs. He had to navigate so much but he's able to execute at the most important times, too. And I love hearing in that bite how he's talking to Jack Flaherty. We know that's another reason that Adam Wainwright is so great is he imparts so much knowledge to these young Cardinals pitchers. And if I was them, I would be looking at every single thing that he's doing, and I would be trying to absorb it and trying to find out how I can incorporate some of the things that he's doing into the way that I pitch and into my routine. Not only in the way that he has been able to preserve his body, but the way that he pitches. He's not just going out there and and throwing heat all the time. He's actually pitching in the way that he approaches each game and each batter. And uh, I I don't know if you heard him on with the fast lane later uh, in the week. He was on with us on Wednesday, and I believe he was on with them the same day. Mm -hmm. But he talked about, and he's talked about this with us as well, but just the one-on-one battles that he Mm -hmm. faces with every single pitch and every single batter. And if if I'm a young pitcher on this Cardinal staff, I am talking to him as much as possible, and I'm soaking up every ounce of information from Adam Wainwright that I absolutely can. Yeah, and as he mentioned yesterday in the press conference after the game, every day is the most important day of the year. It used to be only when he pitched that was the most important game of the year. Now he says every day. So with the Cardinals being one and four on this homestead heading into yesterday, how much intensity was there against the Pirates? Intensity, no. Tonight I didn't even try to throw up one ball hard the whole day. I just really tried to mix and match the shape of it, what it was doing, play the X game on both sides. And I really dialed back the intensity, but, in, in, you know, with increased focus, uh, that's what I've been trying to do. And so um, intensity, no, but maybe maybe when there's bigger stuff on the line, maybe more important games seemingly in my mind uh, when I build it up to be something, um, there's a little more focus there for sure. Yeah, if, you, if you're a pitcher, it's kind of like being a golfer. If you're too intense and you aren't relaxing, that, that can work to your detriment. Even though you're competitive and you're, you're all tight, that works to your detriment. You need to be relaxed when you're a pitcher. Like most things, you probably need to find the perfect balance, yep. right? Um, and that's what this season has been frustrating for Cardinals fans for, for so many reasons. But any time that I watch Adam Wainwright pitch, I think – he should be in the postseason. Adam Wainwright, with what he's doing for this Cardinals team, that should be the story. When we turn on MLB Network, the story should not be, oh, the Cardinals, they dropped two of three to the Pirates, you know, frustrating season for them. Are they going to sneak into the playoffs? The, the headline should be that the Cardinals are a playoff team and they're getting there on the backs of a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. Right, and it's a shame that there's just not enough around him to get to that point. At least it, it doesn't appear that there's enough around Adam Wainwright for the Cardinals to be able to get to the postseason. And that would be a shame if he would end his career having missed the playoffs because he's essentially spent his career in the playoffs. That's right. So, and he loves it. He loves the postseason. So that would be a real shame. 
That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Earlier in the show, Randy, we talked about the Oakland A's and the threat that's looming that they may move to Las Vegas. Well, another lease is coming up in 2027, Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay. And Tyler Glass now, starting pitcher for the Rays, he was asked about this issue and about why he thinks it's really, really difficult attendance-wise for the Rays. It's tough for them to draw fans. And he has two reasons why he thinks that the Rays have trouble getting fans to come to the stadium because it's really something that they've dealt with or a knock on them for the entirety of their time in Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. So he says it's a lot of one-way streets and that the location of the TROP is very difficult to get to and that it should be in more of a centralized location and in downtown Tampa. He says that that's a big part of the problem and also that the team doesn't do a great job with promotional efforts or game day presentations. He says, quote, I don't think their number one priority is exactly marketing well it, it always helps to get fans in the stadium if indeed you are marketing and annually the teams that do the best job of marketing the, the three are the Cardinals the Dodgers and the Giants and annually those three are the ones that draw the most fans there is a lot to be said for that I'd never thought of all the one-way streets one thing about uh, St. Pete is they're all numbered too they're so you have like first avenues and like first second third fourth avenue and first second third fourth street so mm-hmm. it, it's really confusing as so well So you could be on first avenue and first street right and yeah, not know which one is which yeah exactly <laughs> so th- that could be a problem I Ooh. would Think. From a sitting planning perspective, yeah. why was that even a con- – come on, that just seems like should a group of people should have gotten in a room and been like, this could yeah. be confusing. How about A, B, C, D, E? I mean, right? <laughs> we could do it. but Sunshine a, Way. Yeah, yeah right. Know, so, come on. There's yeah. got to be other options yeah. here. Beyond what he says, and he's right, but – they have a much older demographic in St. Petersburg. The the more affluent and the younger demographic lives in Tampa, which is across a long bridge and, and difficult to get to. And then the other part is the quality of the stadium. And it was pointed out to me, and it's accurate, there are only two stadiums in America that were built without a team to draw a team. And that's the stadium there and the dome here. And both pretty much universally disliked by the fans. And a lot of people are probably thinking, okay, it's 2027. Why are you guys even talking about this right now? Well, 2027 is going to be here before you know it. And with the time that it takes to build a new stadium, that's when the lease for the trap is up. I would imagine that a decision is going to be made in the next year or so. And so this is going to be a conversation that continues to build steam, especially I think with Montreal kind mm-hmm. of looming. Um, and I wonder if the franchise, especially if they're, if, if you have players who are noticing that you're not really putting a lot into marketing and trying to get people to come to the ballpark, Players have been public about the fact that there's not really a great fan attendance situation. I think that this is something we're going to hear a lot more about in the next year or so. I would think so. And I know that Tampa, again, is trying to get some traction for a stadium in Tampa. But there's no way that a team can exist long term in St. Petersburg. And I know that they've been winning, but 
what they have, unfortunately, causes them to lose players. And they lost Andrew Friedman to the to the Dodgers. They lost Joe Madden to the Cubs. That has been a really good organization for a long time. But even though they win all the time, nobody wants to be there. And it's in a, Tampa's a great town. It's one of my favorite towns. But you're in St. Pete, unfortunately. Tampa's one of your favorite towns. Yeah, Tampa's great. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I love Tampa. I've only been there one time. It was for the national championship game a few years ago, and it was freezing cold. Oh, really? I was so yeah. bummed out. I was living in Connecticut at the time, and I'm like, oh, I'm packing tank tops and shorts. Mm-hmm. We're going to Florida. It was freezing. It was. Fr- oh. I had to buy a coat. It was freezing. So the Cardinals used to train in St. Petersburg, so I went down many times there, but I went with uh, both the Rams and the Cardinals a lot for football games. And then I've been to a couple of Super Bowls there, too. And great restaurants in Tampa, easy to get around, nice downtown area. I'm a a fan. Well, I'm glad that you are because they need some. So maybe when you go down there, you can buy tickets to a race game. Yeah, somebody has to. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, did you see this fight that went down in French soccer? yesterday no okay let me try to describe this to you the best that i can so it was a match nice versus marseille and one of the marseille players was struck by a bottle that was thrown by someone in the stands and he said you know what not today not today so he retaliated by throwing it back into the crowd and the fans stormed the pitch they stormed the pitch and it became this entire situation you saw a a huge group of fans that just kept flooding onto the field and the players were trying to be held back and it was kind of a malice at the palace type situation in French soccer and it got me thinking I'm going to send you the video so that you can watch it later I should have sent it to you before this but again we're on remote and slipped (laughs) my mind but I'm surprised that we haven't seen more stuff like this where especially in the NBA when we saw recently uh, players getting popcorn thrown on them and Kyrie Irving getting hit with the Mm -hmm. bottle I'm kind of surprised that in the history of sports we haven't seen more incidents where fans storm the field and there's a fight yeah, because Between players and fans, right? Fans feel like they have an ownership, right? And they feel like they sh- the, the reason they're, hey, what do they call the team? They, they say we, right? We, we yeah. And so they feel like there is a level of ownership there when they go to a game. And we've seen it in baseball, but it's very few and far between. Usually you don't have that mob mentality, as you're describing here, which is a good thing because you'd hate to have uh leagues forced to put up fences in between the players and the the teams but that might be or the players in the crowd but that might be something they have to do there what's what is the team in american sports where you could see this happening or where you would put your money on if there was going to be another malice at the palace type situation cleveland cleveland browns uh, they once littered the field when the Rams were there. I guess Philly is number one. Oh, right? yeah. Philly's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one would be. Uh, what about L.A.? There's always fan fights yeah, at Dodger Stadium. We saw the one with the Rams recently. Yeah. It seems like their fans uh, have no issues throwing down. But I don't I don't think that there's enough passion for a lot of them to do it. Maybe a dozen or so. But for the at a typical Rams game, for the 30,000 people that are in the stands, 35 maybe, you might have, what, a couple thousand that are really into it and passionate. The other ones are in. <laughs> where are we going? What, what beach are we going to after? You just had to get that dig in there, huh? Yeah. I'll allow it. Is it cool? I'll allow it. I'll allow <laughs> it. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, I wanted to give two shout-outs 
for the Little League World Series. So Eli Jones, pitcher from Washington, he had himself a night. He threw the first Little League World Series solo no-hitter since 2015. He shut down the city from Palm City, Florida, one nothing in an, an elimination game. And he also drove in the only run of the game. So shout-out to Eli Jones. And I thought it was great that the opposing coach was the first person out on the field to congratulate him. That's great. Uh, but I also want to give a, a shout-out to Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, who participated in, in the broadcast and were there signing autographs and really were a great piece to this. And Mike Trout catches a lot of heat for not being as much of the face of baseball as maybe he should be over the past few years or maybe not uh, promoting himself enough. But I thought he was great in the broadcast. He was It was very cool to see him out there showing his face and promoting the game. I thought it was really interesting, though, when he went up to that one little kid and the kid said, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the burn. Oh, the shade. <laughs> but no, that's, we do need players to to try to build a groundswell of support and make baseball cool again. And those those are guys that, for those kids, they've made baseball cool. And if, if we're going to give Mike Trout heat for not promoting when he does we need to give him praise and i thought he did a great job and um you know it was cool to see the kids so excited to see him and shohei otani too what was the weather like in williamsport i'm sure he's all over it i'm sure he was all over it (laughs) thanks michelle you got it coming up we're gonna cross things over with danny mac the danny mac show featuring bk coming up at the top of the hour and dan will join michelle and randy next on 101 espn we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack will join us in just a moment, and we thank the people here at Whitmore Country Club and the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament brought to you by Suntrip Automotive Group. And it'll be a great day today. We got a chance to see Butch and, uh, and Craig Suntrip. We got a chance to see a lot of our friends, and this is a really well-done tournament, Michelle, and the people from Folds of Honor just make for a spectacular day, and we thank them for having us out here. Yeah, thank you to Folds of Honor and to the Suntrips and to Whitmore Country Club for having us out here today. It's been a great morning, and you're right a, a great cause and just seeing the amount of people that have come in and out as they're getting registered for today i'm sure it's going to be a great golf tournament and during the break randy Carricker putting on his golf shoes oh you bet getting ready to go out there as soon as we are off the air so game time is on time for you you're going to be able to just turn off the oh. broadcaster part of your brain and turn on the golf part right away yeah, no the, no warm-ups for you no warm-up no driving range no i'm just going to go out there and and swing the club and we'll see what happens and you're on you're you're with the quick trip group today right? i am with the quick awesome. trip. yeah so uh, i love those guys and uh, we'll have a good time it'll be fun so and they're good golfers too although i think some teams might have ringers so that they can win this but I, i'm just out for a good time so is it a scramble yeah it is okay yeah but there's like really really good golfers out here people that i can't play with well i just saw carolyn kindle betts walking yep, by she's good. and at the family golf and learning center closest to the pin contest that i hosted when they first opened it was darren pang it was ozzy smith chris pronger there was a ton of people there carolyn kindle betts was right up there she for came out with the first shot she's a great golfer yeah so and, and She'll have a, a really good, solid day today, I'm sure. And, and by the way, this is a tournament. They've got two courses here at Whitmore, and they're both completely full. So they're raising a lot of money. So hopefully we'll be able to get through it reasonably quickly as well. Now, I know it's supposed to be pretty hot today. 
and you have your one bottle of water per hole rule, yep. it's going to be, stand by, it's 84 right now. It's going to be up to 93, Randy. Michelle, I am a fan of the hot weather. I can play golf in hot weather. It doesn't bother me at all. Now, if I'm standing outside and just doing nothing, then it burns my skin. But if I'm thinking about golf and I'm not thinking about the weather, I'm fine. So it, I, I can play when it's 98, no problem at all. Well, then I expect a strong performance out of you today. I, if you I, can play in 98, well, 93, should be a breeze. And I am going to be hydrated. Don't worry about that one bit. So the Cardinals with a day off. And I think a lot of people, even I, I got the sense from Adam Wainwright, basically saying, hey, every day is our biggest game of the year. And he is the eternal, ultimate optimist, isn't he? Uh, he is. It's hard to imagine that with 40 games left that the Cardinals can turn it on. I know that there have been teams that have done it in the past, but... I don't think this team is a team that, from what I've seen so far this season, is one that's going to turn it on. It just seems like they get a little bit of momentum and then they get halted mm -hmm. for one way or another. So I think that's a, a reasonable thought out of you is that you don't know if they're able to turn it on because we haven't necessarily seen that out of them. Even though they had a six-game winning streak coming into that Brewer series, I think after that game last Wednesday night where they, they had it in their hands and, and they dropped it, they bounced back with a strong win the day after that, but then you lose two to the Pirates. It just seems like kind of start, stop, start, stop. And I, I do think that this team could be capable of it, but they've got a really tough stretch of schedule coming up here after the Tigers and the Pirates again. Um, but I like that Adam Wainwright, who, along with Yadier Molina, heart and soul of this team, he's got to stay positive. And if he's not believing in his team and convincing them to believe in themselves, why should we believe in them? Right. Well, I think one guy that it's become pretty evident is a pretty important player for this team is Dylan Carlson, because his absence has coincided with a level of inconsistency. Yeah, they, they have their moments. They have their games. They had 11 in a row where they'd scored four or more runs. Then he gets hurt. And granted, you're playing the Brewers, too. Sure. But then you go into a stretch of games where you're really inconsistent. I think having him at the top of the lineup really does lend some consistency to this team. We said that about Harrison Bader earlier yep. in the season, too. You know, um, also with the Pirates coming up after this two game set with the Tigers, can we find a way? And I'm, I'm sure he would be up for it to just let Adam Wainwright pitch all of those games. Yeah, why not? Because he owns the Pirates. 19 innings he hasn't p permitted a run against the Pirates. He's won his last seven decisions against them. And maybe you hit him fifth or something, too. <laughs> but <laughs> he, he hits against him, too. He absolutely owns the Pirates. Yeah. I wonder how difficult that would be for him. Like, if you just limit him to <laughs> 88 pitches. Just figure out a way. Hey, can you do it the next night, Wayno? Just forget the walk the next night, and let's just pitch again. He'd be up for it, I'm sure. He'd give it a shot. He would, no, no doubt. doubt. about it. And... Uh, you look at Cincinnati, and you credit to the Reds, right? Because they were behind the Cardinals for most of the season, and I didn't think they were a team that was going to turn it on either. But yesterday, they get Moustakis back, and really what's happened for them is that Joey Votto has turned into a better power hitter than he's ever been in his career. And since the All-Star break with the power surge of Votto that's coincided with a power surge for that team and right now they're in the lead in the wild card it would be Cincinnati and the Dodgers for the National League wild card if we played it today well it's 
we're looking at the Cardinals, who had an opportunity versus the Pirates and dropped two or three. And then you have the Reds, who came out, and then they swept the Marlins. They swept mm-hmm. all four games versus the Marlins. Now the Padres are the other team we've had an eye on. And wow, you want to talk about a free fall? They are in a bad place right now, the Padres. And it's kind of like what happened to the Cardinals in June. You lose your number one starter. You lose you Darvish. And they had had other things going on with the loss of Tatis earlier. But they just don't pitch. And they've got a real problem now because they don't have anybody coming back either. I don't know what they do. But that's a team that we all thought was a guaranteed playoff team, right? For sure. And they're probably going to miss the playoffs. And you talk, people here complain about how we don't spend money and miss the playoffs. How about there? When they go in and give the th- more than $300 million to Tatis, $300 million to... Uh, to Machado, they spend the money for the $126 million man, Hugh Darvish, and if they don't make the playoffs, and I don't think they will, it's even worse. Hosmer, $147 million. They were in on Scherzer up yeah. until the last minute. What do you think's worse, having your team go for it and fall short or feeling like your team didn't go all the way and fall short? I think from a fan's perspective, you'd probably... And Danny Mac joins us now. From a fan's perspective, you probably hate it more that your team doesn't go for it, I right? agree. I would rather be in the Padres' position yeah. and go for it and yeah. just be able to cite injuries or things like that. But at least at some point in the season, you felt like you were primed to make a yeah. run. Dan McLaughlin is a guy who doesn't have to start savoring what Adam Wainwright is doing right now. He's savored it ever since Waino started his bounce back a couple of years ago. And Danny is getting ready for his show here on 101 ESPN. And Dan, what? first of all, good morning. Good to have you with us. How are you guys doing? You- I miss you in studio. Where are you? Uh, we're at Whitmore for the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament. Awesome. Great cause. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But uh, what Adam Wainwright is doing as we approach his 40th birthday a week from today, it's pretty amazing. Can you think of anybody who at the age of 40 is, and minus the PED guys, who's done what he's doing? Randy Johnson. I, I mean, you're putting me on the spot. I would say, I yeah. guess, Randy Johnson, yeah. you know, uh, not associated or ever thought of as a PED guy, at least not to my knowledge. But uh, he would come to mind. I remember Randy Johnson throwing, what was it, at the age of 40, a perfect game against the Braves in Atlanta. I think he was 40, Randy and Michelle. Um, I, I can't remember not many guys, you know, a lot of these guys just make so much money, the desire to continue to to do this isn't there. I mean, they, they make a ton of money, and, you know, you hit 30, 35, whatever the case is, and you say, I've had enough. But uh, what he's doing is just remarkable. And uh, the Pirates can't figure him out. And, by the way, his next start <laughs> is going to be against the Pirates. Um, and then the schedule really uh, gets tough for St. Louis in the final month. But, yeah, I mean, he has saved their bacon, man, so many times this year. It's just incredible. I don't know where this team would be without him. And he's what, a, a week away from being 40? Yep. A, a week from today. What do we have coming up on the Danny Mac Show with BK? Uh, Nick Leva is going to be our guest. And uh, yes. Nick, of course, was an integral part of the coaching staff under Whitey Herzog. And we thought with the uh, Cardinals Hall of Fame weekend this past weekend, it'd be a perfect guy to ask about uh, Keith Hernandez and Tommy Herr and uh, John Tudor all going into the Cardinals Hall of Fame, which was great to see.
Yeah, fantastic. Great weekend. Daniel, we appreciate it, and we will see you tomorrow. By the way, Wayno now tied for fourth among all Major League pitchers in wins with 12. And the one that is incredible to me, innings pitched. He's at 162 and two-thirds. That's unbelievable. Wow. So, I mean, he's, he's yeah. it's going to wind up being, uh, I bet he finishes in the top 10 or 15 in the Cy Young vote. He should. He absolutely should. Yeah. All righty, sir. We'll be tuned in to Nick Leva. Thank you so much for the time, and we'll see you tomorrow. All right, guys. Have a good uh, day on the golf course. Thank you, and a great job uh, today by Emily Butcher, our producer-engineer. Thank you. And, Michelle, this was fun. Thanks for coming out. It was. Randy, I'll see you tomorrow, but enjoy your day on the golf course. I will do my best. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. John Rudolph has been our uh, engineer here on site at Whitmore. Great work by him as well. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.